Hey, my friend, welcome along to the Medicinal Chef's Nutrition Nuggets podcast, helping you get clarity on nutrition. I'm Dale Pinnock, the Medicinal Chef, best-selling author, nutritionist, and creator of Nutrition Coaching Monthly. Every week here in the podcast, I'm going to be answering your questions and discussing key topics around the field of nutrition to help give you clarity and to expand your knowledge. Hey folks, how you doing? Hope you guys are well and you've had a good week. So this week we are just in audio only because apparently the uh, the videos, the audio was only coming out of one channel. So until I actually know what was going on there, um, we're just in audio only, but that doesn't matter because that's where most of you are consuming the podcast anyway. So it is all good. So I've literally just got back to the office from doing a segment on the ITV program this morning. And on the back of that, so many people asked me to do a podcast on the subject I was speaking about. I was talking about plant milks, as in, you know, nut milks, seed milks, dairy alternatives. A small a small segment on that. It was obviously very, very fast moving. These TV segments only average, average out about six minutes anyway, so it's quite hard to get a lot of detail in. And so many questions came in off the back of that feature, and a lot of people asking me to do a podcast on it. So here I am. I hadn't got around to recording this week's, so that was perfect timing. So plant milks. But the main crux of what people were asking me are, are they any good or not? Are they laden with rubbish or are they a good option well what i'd really say is that it can be the good the bad and the ugly to be honest there's great options and there's less than great options one of the first problems with a lot of the wouldn't let's say a lot a lot of the earlier brands and a lot of the the very big mainstream brands at least they do tend to add quite a lot of sugar which is a problem you look at some of the 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 oat milks and some of the um, soy milks particularly, they have a huge amount of added sugar in them, which is very, very problematic. But obviously with the smaller, more artisan brands that are are coming at it not from just commercial opportunity, that are actually doing it because they have a passion for these kinds of products. You know, companies that are vegan at heart or that are more environmentally conscious that are producing these really, really high quality products, these ones, you won't find those sugars in there. So the first take home really is always, always, always read the label. Don't assume just because it's dairy free, it's automatically going to be completely pure and clean and lovely and all that kind of stuff. There might be some nasty additives in there, some like thickeners and added sugars, that kind of stuff. Second thing I would say about is they I I don't drink milk personally, but I do eat cheese. That's you know, total disclaimer. I do eat cheese. I love the stuff. I sometimes have a little bit of yogurt. I like to have a little bit of full fat dairy because of the vitamin D content. Now, obviously, the primary source of vitamin D for humans is the conversion of cholesterol into vitamin D precursors upon exposure to ultraviolet radiation. I.e., the sun. Now, in this country, for most of the year. The sun is just a rumour. So for a lot of the time, we're buggered. We haven't really got enough exposure to get significant enough levels of vitamin D synthesised in the skin. So cutting out the few food sources of vitamin D will really enhance your need for a supplement. I think a vitamin D supplement is a good idea for everyone in this country anyway. 
um, particularly for people that don't spend much time outdoors, people with darker skins, um, people with a lot of skin covered up. So, you know, anyone that, that wears burkas, for example, where so little of the skin is on show, your vitamin D needs will be even higher still. So for most of our population, unless you're lucky enough to be working overseas a lot or you get to take lots and lots of holidays a year, if you aren't going outside much, if you're covered up a lot of the time, if you aren't getting much sun exposure, then you will need a supplement. Vitamin D does exist in a few foods, full fat dairy, oily fish and certain types of mushrooms that have been specially grown. The more of those foods you cut out, the less exposure you have to vitamin D, so you will need to take a supplement. So those, you know, those are some of the potential pitfalls. But now on to the good. Now, one well, okay, before we get on to the good, there's one question that I definitely do need to address. Someone did ask about the phytoestrogen content of soy milk. Right, here we go. The phytoestrogens, these are phytochemicals, plant chemicals that have a shape very similar to that of the body's own estrogen. And as such, they are estrogen receptor antagonists, meaning they will bind to an estrogen receptor, but they they won't actually deliver an estrogenic effect and they will prevent the body's own estrogen from binding. Now, there can be several benefits here. This has been really hotly debated. And if, if you're thinking about getting on one and sending me loads of emails about it, just please don't. I, I, I do not get involved in debates. I've got no interest of being involved in debates in any way, shape or form. If you want to have a debate, get on Twitter. Don't send it to me. So very, very hotly debated things. Phytoestrogens, these are... Some people have made claims that these increase risks of hormonal disorders, hormone-related cancers, these kinds of things. If that was the case, then in countries like China and Japan, where intake of soy, particularly fermented soy, is very, very high, and soy isoflavones, phytoestrogens, in other words, is very, very high, then you would also see a proportionally large percentage of hormone-driven cancers, i.e. breast cancer, ovarian and uterine cancer, and prostate cancer. But you don't. You don't see it. If anything, there is an inverse relationship. The more soy a population seems to actually consume, the lower the incidence. Now, obviously, I fully acknowledge this is an observational study. This is not studying cause and effect, but the patterns are very, very clear. Now, how these phytoestrogens work, I mean, the, the main phytoestrogen in um, in soy is something called diadzine. Diadzine needs to be converted into something called equiol, which is biologically active in our body. Um, well, can actually get into systemic circulation and start to deliver some activity. Now, that needs to be done by gut flora. And depending on the health and the makeup of someone's gut flora, that will influence how effectively they do that conversion anyway. So it's not a given that if you consume them, you're going to actually get them into circulation. But we know that they can bind to estrogen receptors. When they bind to estrogen receptors, this can have several benefits. Firstly, 
it seems they, when they bind to the estrogen receptor, they don't deliver an estrogenic activity. They prevent natural estrogen from binding to this receptor. So if someone is at greater risk of estrogen-driven cancers, potentially, and let's, you know, let's draw a line under the word potentially, we're not making any absolute claims here, but potentially there can be a protective role here because it's actually blocking, it's working as a receptor antagonist. It's blocking the receptor and preventing the regular ligand that would bind to that receptor, i.e. estrogen, from actually connecting to the receptor and delivering an estrogenic response in that cell and tissue. So that's number one. Number two, soy isoflavones, phytoestrogens are most well known in the context of the, the menopause and are often taken in supplemental form. Now, in the menopause, because of the levels of estrogen are starting to go down, then that receptor is crying out for its ligand. It's like um, when a smoker stops smoking, the nicotine receptor starts going mental for a little while because all of a sudden it's used to receiving the nicotine and then the nicotine's not there, so you start to get the cravings. You start to get those those uh, crazy sensations of craving. That is the receptor influencing physiology it's the inset it's the receptor throwing a hissy fit basically so when that happens in the context of menopause estrogen production goes down the estrogen receptor isn't getting its ligand so it starts to to lose the plot a little bit phytoestrogens will bind to that receptor and yes it doesn't deliver the estrogenic activity but it does satisfy the craving that the receptor has i'm putting this in layman's terminology obviously so that's the phytoestrogen thing. I do not see convincing data that says these things are disease-promoting agents. If I see convincing data, I will change my stance on it. But a couple of lines on a website or someone with a strong opinion, evidence does not make. Okay, so we'll leave that one there. Now, moving on to the other, some of these other nut milks, people are saying, you know, are they a good option? Now, obviously, I know so many people are moving towards a plant-based diet and there are so many health benefits surrounding this. Absolutely, there's there's no discussion to be had there. Are these things automatically healthier? Well, yes, I think they're very, very good. I mean, they do tend to have pretty low caloric density. So, you know, obviously you're not getting like a lot of empty calories um, when you're keeping away from the, the sugar-laden cheap versions, they tend to be very, very high in certain phytochemicals. So with oat milk, you've got the oat-derived um, antioxidant group there. You've got um, good amounts of vitamin E in most of the nut and seed milk. So almond milk, for example, has got a great amount of vitamin E in it. It's also got zinc. Cashew nut milk, absolutely amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, I was talking about that on the show today. Cashew milk is super rich and creamy and gorgeous, and I love it. Then you've got things like hemp milk, which has got quite a broad fatty acid profile. You've got a lot of omega-9 fatty acids in hemp milk there's ala as well which is the plant source of omega-3 and if any of you have heard heard me talk about the plant source of omega-3 it doesn't really do a lot to human health yes it can compete for enzyme attention with omega-6 you know and it can block some of the the omega-6 that's present being converted and that kind of stuff but it really doesn't provide any of the benefits that the long chain omega-3 fatty acids do but oleic acid in olive oil and the other fatty acids in the omega-9 family do have some wonderful benefits for cardiovascular health. So an important one to top up for cardiovascular health. 
So that's the long and short of it. That's my take on it. The general questions were, should we be avoiding dairy? Well, there is a lot of evidence to show that dairy, particularly milk, milk consumption can raise IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, and that can fan the cancer flame sometimes. So if there is precancerous lesions, for example, it can accelerate the progression of that. There's a fair bit of data to support that. Um but then on the flip side, there are certain nutrients in there, but these are nutrients that you could very easily get in um, a supplement form should you decide. So really, it's it's a personal choice. If this is a discussion around animal welfare, there's no argument. There's no there's nothing that I can I can say that would be in support of it. I completely understand the whole process of dairy farming. I understand everything behind that and you know my, my my stance i just come at it from the from the nutrition point of view for me it's just about the nutrition um but obviously it, there is a much wider issue uh, within this you know a much wider issue at stake that can drive these kinds of decisions and really i've got uh, there is no argument from from my point of view anyway if animal welfare is real high priorities for you then giving up dairy is a, is a, is a an obvious step because it's not really the kindest of um, industries that's for sure so that's just my quick two pennies worth that's my summary of the key things that we spoke about today yes these plant these plant milks they they are a great source of certain key fatty acids fat soluble antioxidants like vitamin e there's a great mineral content some of them are rich in b vitamins uh, the tiger nut milk is high in potassium for example and they are a great alternative to regular dairy yes the vitamin d may be missing you can take a supplement and if you live in this country you really should take a supplement so that's it for this week and i shall see you guys next week hopefully i will have the the whole video situation sorted actually like figuring out what the um what is going on with the audio because i didn't realize it was coming out of one channel but it actually is but until then hope you have a wonderful weekend or Whenever you're listening to this, I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, morning, whatever it may be. Until next time, see you later.